Tennessee just sounds perfect. Whether that's live music, the crack of a campfire, or kids laughing on an adventure. To start planning your trip, visit tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Welcome to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Quick question for you. What's the most amazing animal that you have seen up close in real life? Hi, my name is Ben. My name is Noel. I would say ostrich, if by amazing you mean terrifying. Right, because your bird thing. Bird thing. Ostrich in particular, because they got those gangly, weird necks and those really muscular, those talons, and the, the whole shape of the bird is just wrong to me. Do you know for a uh, relatively or comparatively brief span of Earth's history, uh, flightless birds, large flightless birds were the dominant species? Totally. I mean, aren't like Jurassic Park dinosaurs meant to have had feathers? Yes, that is true. That is true. Spielberg did not back down. Another person who does not back down is our super producer, Casey Pegram. Yeah, that Tom Petty song is about him. It is. It is. uh, A lot of Tom Petty's catalog is actually based on the life and times of Casey Pegram. Yeah, which didn't seem to work out age-wise and timeline-wise, but trust us, it does. Trust us. Yeah, the whole thing's a concept album. I would say the most amazing animal that I have seen up close for entirely subjective reasons would be a tiger. Uh, The most amazing animal I've seen up close in the wild was a brown bear. Did I tell you that story? No. (laughs) Okay. Were you mauled? I was not. I did survive at the end. I was in Boy Scouts and we were on a camping trip. I had walked away from the campsite and uh, let me put this delicately. I was, I was peeing in a creek, which, you know, I probably shouldn't have been doing. And then mid stream is the best way to put it. I looked across the creek and I saw a bear on the other side of the creek just chilling and staring at me while I was midstream. And I didn't know what to do, so I just kept going. And then I backed away. I walked backwards back to the campsite, and uh, the bear just stared at me. What you're describing, Ben, is the um, natural adaptation that was the inspiration for the Care Bear Stare. <laughs> so the Care Bear Stare. Yeah, as long as it wasn't the inspiration for that uh, Leonardo DiCaprio vehicle. What was that? Where he Was did... he in a live-action Care Bears movie? No, he was in a movie with a bear. Oh, the one where, where he eats the where he eats uh, raw meat and yeah, curls yeah, up yeah, in yeah, an animal yeah, carcass, yeah. and I think they gave him the Oscar for it. Yeah, Casey, do you remember which one that was? The Revenant. That was it. Casey that was on the it. case. Casey on the case. 
Uh, today's episode is about several things. It is about an amazing animal that very few of us get a chance to see in the wild nowadays. Uh, and it's about the way fame can affect people. And this is a very special episode today because we are not entering into this foray alone. Well, we're entering into it alone, but we're going to exit it with company. Yes, that's correct. Yes, we do have a surprise guest at the end, but our first guest, at least in concept here. Spirit. In spirit, there we go, is actually not a person. Our first guest is a rhinoceros. That's right. Uh, not to be confused with the very depressing Smashing Pumpkins song of the same name. And, and actually, in retrospect, highly pretentious. I, I was so <laughs> in love with that stuff, and I, I like some of it holds up. But that song, he's like, he's like, planned a show, trees and balloons. What does that even mean, Billy Corgan? I, you know, ice I, cream snow. Yeah, come I, on, man. I lump them in with uh, a lot of bands from that time period. Who, uh, if you don't pay attention to lyrics. I've said this before. I've had those moments with Stone Temple Pilots as well where I think, you know, if I didn't understand English, I would love this song. But that stuff like – the fashion victims gnash their charcoal teeth. Oh, that, that's that's zero. Melancholy. Yeah, and yeah. It's a, my, my beef with the song Rhinoceros, not one mention of a rhinoceros in the entire song. I guess it's maybe just the feeling of a rhinoceros. <laughs> it has sort of a rhinoceros-like melancholy to it, um, which, you know, that interests into the story, only it's interesting. Um, we'll get to, we'll get it, to it. It. It, does, it does matter, though, because uh, for quite a long time, a uh, rhinoceros was considered to be somewhat of a mythical creature. That's right. There right? was a very famous etching by mm-hmm. Albrecht Durer that depicted a rhinoceros based on description alone um, in a really cool way. Yeah, yeah. 1515 woodcut, and it shows a rhinoceros in profile, and it looks like it's dressed for war. Yeah. Like it—, it came to kick butt and chew bubblegum and it's all out of gum. Looks like one of those ones from, <laughs> looks like one of those ones from uh, the Black Panther that mm-hmm. the, there's that tribe in, that, the, that mm-hmm. comes into play um, pretty heavily in the big battle structure of the film. They ride these rhinoceros-like creatures that aren't quite the rhinoceroses mm-hmm. that we know. Mm-hmm. They're a little bit uh, of an augmented rhinoceros, which is this, this etching is very much the case. Uh, it has an extra horn on its back, which makes it look even more fierce. Yep. But overall, pretty damn good depiction of a rhino uh, based on just word of mouth, right? Yeah, especially considering uh, how woefully inaccurate many depictions of this type were at the time. Now, at this time, in the 1500s, many, many people in Europe would uh, place a creature like the rhinoceros up there with a creature like the griffin, the hippogriff, or the unicorn. That's right. right. It's a cool idea, but someone was a bit in their cups, or as uh, our dear friend Ben Franklin may have put it, they had been to speak with the king. The king, yeah. <laughs> oh, and Ben, I, I, well, last yeah, yeah. thing, um, this this Albrecht Durer etching really reminds me of Battle Cat from He-Man, um, because it's a very large, muscular creature mm-hmm. decked out in some very bespoke, like, armor and kind of a helmet that goes over the uh, the rhino head. I remember that, mm-hmm. yeah. Remember Battle Cat? Yeah, he I was he was cringer, that. and then he turned into Battle Cat. Yeah, 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 uh, because he had to transform with He Man. That's right. In uh, one of the most creative names for any superhero. Yeah. That's what, <laughs> you ever heard of the band Man Man? 
Yes. I yeah. wonder if that's sort of a of a jab at He-Man. I don't know. I never understood why it was She-Ra and not She-Woman if it was He-Man. That's a good point. No, no one knows. But I will say that the new She-Ra cartoon is supposed to be incredible. It's being held up there along with like shows like Steven Universe as being mm-hmm. very inclusive and very well-written and interesting. So and I, handling trauma quite well, yeah, apparently. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, I really want to check it out. Oh, and speaking of checking things out, Durer ultimately arrives at at least part of this description, uh, via the courtesy of the first century Roman author Pliny the Elder. And I love his description of the rhinoceros knoll. He calls it fast, impetuous, and cunning, the mortal enemy of the, the elephants. Elephant. Yeah, yeah, where's this coming There's from? There's some nightman dayman stuff going on. Big time. <laughs> no, and, and I think even like what was what what were what was he basing these observations on? Did plant were there were there rhinoceroses in Rome? That's a good question. What do you think? I, I have a feeling it was probably more word of mouth, and he probably did some research based on people that were traveling to foreign lands and then maybe interviewed them. But he didn't strike me as the type that was going to go off to you know, India or Africa or anything. That wasn't really in the cards. Plenty also got plenty of things wrong. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? As It's not as if he could uh, hop on the internet or even visit a particularly well-stocked library. So he... Most likely, plenty that is, was getting his accounts from Greek and Roman forays into India. And he was describing an Indian rhinoceros. Which is the subject of our story today, actually. And one last thing, Pliny was a naval uh, commander earlier in his life before he became, like, you know, a well-known know-it-all. As in maritime, not belly buttons. That's right. That's right. So (laughs) I don't know that he uh, experienced these things firsthand, but I think he definitely had the opportunity possibly to have, but more likely, Ben, that he heard it from someone else. And this is where we meet Clara, let's fast forward to the 1700s. Clara is a rhinoceros, and in 1738, her mother is tragically killed in India. Bambi style. Bambi style, dude. And she becomes a house pet of one Jan Albert Sichterman, a director of the Dutch East India Company, and he kept her, he raised her in uh, his estate in Kolkata until she got too big. Now, apparently, she's very well-behaved. People loved her. She loved people. But a rhinoceros is a huge creature, and eventually, as she grew into adulthood, she was just, despite her best intentions, too big to walk around inside without wrecking the place. What do you call a baby rhinoceros, Ben? Is it a pup? Thomas? Yeah, Janine? Clara? <laughs> Clara, a calf, a right? Calf. So, ah, like a hippo. I yeah, believe a hippo yeah, yeah, is all. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I believe that's the case. Um, this is so cool, though, because it, it's this is one of those stories where anytime you have animals taken out of their natural habitat and kind of trotted around for human amusement, there's it's easy to do an eye roll and be like, oh, that is not what this animal was meant for. But again, left to her own devices, Clara may well have perished in the harsh wilderness of, of the Indian jungles, right? Mm. Um, but this uh, this kindly uh, gentleman took her in and, um, you know, would trot her out for guests, mm. um, apparently demonstrating her, quote, table manners, or right? Yeah. This is uh, coming from a, an article from Getty.edu. They curated a very cool exhibit at the Getty Museum um, in New York about Clara, and we'll get to what might have been contained in such an exhibit in just a bit. But for one particular dinner, let's say, just for editorial purposes, uh, Jan Albert Sichterman, um, Clara's caretaker, had a guest, a kindly Dutch sea captain. I'm going to let you attempt this pronunciation, Ben. Dawamut Vandermeer. Very good. And 
Claire at this time is about three years old. So she spends the first two and change years of her life living with Sichterman, but then she is acquired by Vandermeer, and he takes her on a seven-month sea voyage around the African continent, eventually arriving in Rotterdam in July of 1741. And let's make no mistake, um, Clara was not full-grown at this point, but three years, that's a a big creature right there. I want to say somewhere probably in the range of 2,000 pounds because by – no, that's not true. Because by the age of eight, she was 5,000. So what do we conjecture that she was at uh, the age of three? Somewhere between that. Yeah, okay, cool. Somewhere between (laughs) zero pounds and 5,000 pounds. That sounds accurate. I'm going to say a three-year-old rhino uh, calf, I'm going to estimate about 1,000 pounds. So just to get her loaded up onto the ship, not to mention – a six-month journey um, where this creature would be need to be cared for and fed. Mm-hmm. Um, no small task. This this kindly sea captain really did have a soft spot. He was impressed and very taken in by this uh, gentle giant, as she was described. And she was uh, she was a little bit high maintenance because she was not designed to live life on a boat. Uh, so during her travels from India to Rotterdam, uh, she acquired some favorite human things, namely orange peels, beer. And tobacco smoke. Yeah, I think people would like blow her shotguns or something and <laughs> also give her a little sip of their beer, probably as a gag at first, but I think she really did develop a taste for it and uh, would have a little nip um, throughout the rest of her existence. A lot of mammals do, yeah. And also, uh, Clara's skin required special moisturizers so she didn't dry out. And uh, that's why historians conjecture that the captain may have used fish oil, may have massaged her flesh with fish oil to keep her moisturized. Yeah, I saw a really adorable YouTube video. I think it was I think they're, they're, this is like sort of a fable almost. They're, this has been um, recreated in picture books and uh, like lore or whatever because it is a really cute story and I saw kind of a pictorial animated um, recreation of this and in that they suggested that he thought oh, she's drying out. What do we have an abundance of? We're in the sea. Fish. Let's do fish oil. Um, and as you can imagine, it probably wasn't the most pleasant smell, um, but it did keep her skin from drying out and cracking like under the under the sun. Yeah, absolutely. This is first off, we have to commend the captain and their crew because they would realistically have been figuring this out on the fly. What does a rhinoceros eat? How much food does it need? How much water does it need? So this was trial and error. And fortunately for Clara, they persevered and it worked. When they arrive in Rotterdam, She gets a temporary home in Leiden and then in Amsterdam, and she's exhibited around the Netherlands for several years before she makes her next trip abroad uh, to Germany, and that was in 1744. At the time, she was called the Dutch Rhino because— that's where that's what people associated her with. They wouldn't say it, it would be an unnecessarily long explanation to say, "Well, you've heard of India, right?" Sure. <laughs> and I mean, let's think about the the way we view circuses today. You know, we know circuses are problematic, and then the way animals are treated in circuses has historically been proven to be kind of gross. But think about the fascination, even at the top of the show, Ben, you had with uh, your pal the grizzly bear, and my abject horror slash fascination with the ostrich, things that we have seen in various forms, uh, whether printed or in movies or whatever. But this is a thing that people had no notion of even existing. As far as some of the people that were seeing this this rhino was concerned, it was a dragon of some kind, right? Or some kind of mythical creature. So it was like rhino hysteria. The 
A rhino craze. Rhino craze. Rhinomania is the term. Rhinomania, yep. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have a ton of questions about LASIK? You're not alone. That's why we created LASIK.com. One place where you can go to find every answer to every question on your mind. Like, how much does LASIK cost? How long does recovery take? How do I find a doctor? If you've been thinking about LASIK, go to LASIK.com now. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snag a Job is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This is also the heaviest land animal on the planet. There is an excellent book called Clara's Grand Tour, Travels with a Rhinoceros in 18th Century Europe uh, by Glennis Ridley, which describes in the the most accurate detail possible, Clara's journey. You see, Vandermeer did a lot of great things for Clara, kept her alive much longer than the normal uh, rhino lifespan in captivity, but he didn't keep a journal. So some of this stuff is conjecture on Ridley's part. And one of the things that Ridley points out is that there was an earlier attempted transport of a rhino in 1770 in France. Mm. And for a single, check this out, for a single journey, transporting this male rhino to Versailles, the French government paid for two days of work by carpenters, 36 days of work by locksmiths, 57 days of work by blacksmiths, and 72 days of work by a team of wheelwrights, and the wagon still collapsed. Jeez, and wouldn't that have been, like, at the request of a monarch? Oh, yeah, yeah. So this is just, like, a dude, like a sea captain who's having to, like, you know, pull this stuff together and figure it out. And not to mention that in that same book you're talking about, by the time um, Clara was basically full-grown, around eight years old, we're talking 5,000 pounds Mm. of creatures. Uh, that eats about 60 pounds of hay, 20 pounds of bread, and 14 buckets of water a day. Not counting the beer. No, not counting the beer. That's just like for a treat, you know? (laughs) But rhinomania was a real thing. I mean, it swept the the nation, 
Europe, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, Clara made trips to Switzerland, Berlin, Vienna, Munich, Strasbourg, Augsburg, all over Germany, Würzburg, where I was born, actually, and Ansbach, Italy, London, several times, and inspired, like, all of these aristocratic kind of, or members of these aristocratic courts who were, like, poets and painters, right? Right. She had private audiences with royalty, aristocracy, uh, and people made—this is very clever of Vandermeer— he understands the value of merchandising, you know? So uh, he actively encourages these different pieces of memorabilia and souvenirs commemorating Clara the Rhino. There are bronze sculptures. There are porcelain curios. Uh, there are, you know, life-size portraits of her. One in 1749 by Jean-Baptiste Audry. She stands in this, like, rustic landscape. There are etchings of her. Uh, there's another painting in 1751 that's currently at the National Gallery in London by Pietro Longhi. And this entire thing impacts society as a whole. It is rhinomania. She is a craze. Now, most people probably cannot afford the opportunity to see her in person, but Vandermeer anticipates that and makes some different memorabilia for different budget levels. Yeah, like the the equivalent of like a commemorative circus cup or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm, exactly. Or one of those light-up swords. Mm-hmm. And uh, during her heyday, during the, the heyday of her tour uh, for a season— uh, things that were fashionable in the world of style and dress were referred to as a la rhinoceros. Yeah, I think there was even a hairdo that got popular in France. If we can picture some of those big, billowy, bouffant hairstyles in France, one of them was, I believe, called the rhinoceros. Yeah, and they decorated horses with that as well. With, like, little rhino ears. And little rhino tails. Little rhino tails. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it was an absolute uh, sensation. Um, and I know you mentioned private audiences with certain monarchs, but I, I haven't uh, confirmed this, but I did see uh, in one um, source that Louis the Fifteenth um, actually offered to buy Clara from our kindly sea captain, um, and or, or or at least expressed that he very much wanted this creature. To which Vandermeer said, "I'll give her to you for some exorbitant price." To right. which Louis turned his nose up because he was expecting it to be gifted to him. But no, Vandermeer was very very uh, much. This was like a companion, even though he was you know cleaning up, making bank, obviously with this rhino. It really does seem like he loved her. Yeah, and she was inspiring songs and and poems dedicated to Clara. And uh, I think you already mentioned that when she toured Italy, she met the same fanfare. That's where this wonderful painting comes from uh, with some Venetians in masks staring at the rhinoceros, very, very eyes wide shut. That one's for you, Casey. <laughs> and, uh, Speaking of which, yeah. check out Casey Pegram's uh, recurring guest spot on uh, our, our buddy Chuck's podcast, Movie Crush, which I appear on occasionally as well, doing a series about Kubrick's Eyes Wide Shut. And uh, I believe you also the did Shining, Barry Lyndon right? and The Shining as well, right? Yeah, those three, and we got uh, Paths of Glory coming up soon. I love Paths oh, of Glory. Nice. It's fantastic. It's such yeah. a good one. It's, it's sort of a le- – I think if people don't think of it as like top Kubrick, but oh, it it's is, one of my though. favorites. Yeah, 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 I agree completely. Why, you may ask? Well, you'll have to tune in to Movie Crush to find out. Along the way, both uh, as an animal and as an increasingly relevant cultural icon – it seems that Vandermeer and Clara really do have this bond. And she lives, for. we said she lived longer than any rhino in captivity beforehand had. Uh, she lived around 20 years. She went to London three times, you know. There are 
I haven't been to London three times. What am I doing with my life, dude? I mean, I went to, I think I, I have all the cool European destinations I've been to. I went when I was too young to remember um, when I traveled with my mom when she was doing opera stuff. So I really hope to remedy that. But yeah, seriously, this rhino lived large. And think about all the voyages and the hoisting onto a ship and all of this oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. The coach itself, she had to be pulled by six horses in a specially reinforced coach. And again, with the whole d- trivia about the, the, the French government's attempts to do this thing, yeah. this dude cracked the code. And I guess he must have parlayed all of that Clara money into ways of keeping her comfortable. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't really read a lot about him living in the absolute lap of luxury. I even heard that read that early on when she was uh, still growing and he hadn't quite cracked this racket yet, he would go hungry in order to feed Clara the rhino. Again, yeah. this again, this is sort of taken the form of a bit of a fairy tale, the way it's written in some places. But that's it's, it's an interesting detail to have survived, you know. And so, spoiler alert: Clara is no longer with us. If we assume that she was approximately two years old when purchased by Vandermeer and brought to Leyden in 1741, she would have been 20 in 1758. And that is when, on her third visit to London, she passed away. Unfortunately, there are no contemporary reports from visitors who saw Clara uh, of any visible signs of illness. And to this day, Her death seems sudden, unexpected, and we don't have a clear cause of death either. No, we don't. Um, uh, from from what I've seen, it, it just sounds like it was her time. I mean, it was sort of an old age thing, given that she exceeded the lifespan of a typical rhino. Yeah, I, I saw one one version of the story that she lost her horn. Her, her horn fell off earlier before she passed away and that Vandermeer was uh, concerned for her. But then he continued to he, – he felt that, that she enjoyed this life and that she was like this was the life for her, that she got pleasure out of being paraded around and being admired and, you know, sort of anthropomorphizing, I guess, which we'll get to in a little bit. But apparently the horn grew back and um, she had another couple good years in her of, of this life. Yeah, let's. Uh, there's one theory that I, I thought was interesting that comes again from that book I mentioned earlier, Clara's Grand Tour. There's one theory that says it's possible that she just had a natural disease that would have led to her death in the wild regardless. Uh, and there's another theory that says the vast quantities of bread she ate while on display in London uh, may be a clue to her death since any fungal growth in the wheat could if consumed in large enough quantities, have a severe effect on the digestive system. But this is all speculation. And the main point is that this gentle, gigantic, beautiful creature, single-hornedly, I'm going to keep that. Ben, that's very well done. Very well done. Thanks, I'm going to keep it. (laughs) She she changed the way that Europe understood uh, the world beyond the edges of their maps. And... While we're speculating, Noel, this this leads us to our segue. It's often said that fame can change people, right? Mm-hmm. Right, a sudden rise to fame, and you you can't remember who your real friends are. You win the lottery or something like that, right? How does it affect you psychologically? Well, Clara the rhinoceros had a sudden stratospheric rise to fame. Is it possible that this rise to fame could have affected her the same way it affects? a human being. Admittedly, Noel, this is a pretty great question, 
but I think we could use a little bit of help exploring it. What do you say? I think we have to because we set up a special guest at the beginning of the show, and if we don't follow through with that, people will think we're liars. There will be chaos in the streets, my friend. Luckily, that wasn't just a bunch of smoke and mirrors of fellow ridiculous historians. We are delighted to introduce you to today's guest, a peer podcaster of ours, a big friend of the show, Katie Golden, the host of Creature Feature. Hey, guys. Happy to be here. We are so happy to have you. And you might remember Katie because an episode of her amazing show snuck into our feed. And then obviously you subscribed to her show immediately. And now you're a huge fan. So we're all family here. Yeah. <laughs> so we were we were very uh, curious on to, to hear your take on this, Katie. Uh, we set up earlier that question of um, how sudden fame could impact a human being psychologically. And we were we were hoping to learn if there's whether there's any analog to that in the world of uh, or in the mind rather of the rhinoceros. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting question because. There is, so there's a lot of uh, research into animals in captivity and their psychology, especially these larger animals like elephants and rhinos and, and tigers, you know, where they they are, require a lot of territory and a lot, their natural environment is just so expansive that when you put them in captivity and you put them in a different environment, it is a drastic psychological shift for them. So I think like, to explore the question of fame, like first you kind of have to know a little bit about animals in captivity. So like even when animals are really well looked after um, and cared for and the, the zookeepers really love them, say it like the San Diego Zoo where it's just a, it's a fantastic zoo, but they still have these issues of what are called uh, stereotypes, uh, which are like these kind of like obsessive compulsive behaviors that animals do when mm -hmm. they're in captivity, mm -hmm. um, like polar bears or elephants. Um, and they'll do things like repeated ticks, movements, obsessive grooming, pacing. Um, and for rhinos, one of the things they do is they have these awesome uh, prehensile upper lips or they're semi-prehensile and that's how they can like grasp twigs or grasp stalks of grass and chew those up they'll kind of fidget with that upper lip and do these repeated motions with that as a sign of stress. And uh, so there is something in uh, in terms of uh, captivity that can really stress out animals and especially the large ones. But there's evidence that increased um, enrichment helps them out. It helps de-stress them. So things like having to work through puzzles to get through their food, mm -hmm. um, like games and toys and positive interactions with their trainers. So uh, allowing them to... Uh, one thing that I think people might not know about rhinos is you can actually train. They're trainable. Uh, they're fairly intelligent. Uh, you can uh, give them... <laughs> there's one rhino that uh, has lear learned how to paint using its upper lip. So the... Cool. Uh, so the uh, keeper uh, applies a dab of paint to its upper lip, and then it just kind of... The paintings are, I got to say, they aren't great. <laughs> <laughs> a little abstract, perhaps? I mean, I know it's it's easy to be a critic, but <laughs> they... 
I mean, there's a certain je ne sais quoi that's lacking in them, but so you're saying you gorilla know, gorilla paintings are superior? Elephant, then, yeah, all the way. I think they might be. Yeah. Even elephant paintings, I think, are a little better. I, I'm really sorry to say, but I mean, the rhino paintings, it, it, he. They put in a real good effort there. Uh, I'd put it on my fridge. There we go. Well, I mean, a lip isn't quite the same as like a trunk or like, you know, hands. (laughs) I know. I'm waiting for the octopus paintings. I have a quick question for you because this is all super fascinating already. But one thing we maybe didn't mention is that Clara um, lost her mother as a a baby, like Bambi style, and was always kind of taken care of by humans. From um, the age of? From the age of like two or three. Do you think that would make this transition into— into captivity or whatever version of captivity you could call being paraded around in this way. I mean, it wasn't in one place. It was a lot of traveling, which probably was even more traumatic now that I think about it. But do you think having been exposed to that kind of life from such an early age would make a difference in developing those tics or any kind of negative attributes? I mean, it is interesting because uh, there is kind of a precedent of a polar bear being separated from its parents Mm -hmm. uh, and then developing these ticks and then like being reunited with its parents and still having the ticks. So it's not necessarily clear that that parental separation would make it worse or better. It could trigger uh, some stress for sure. Um, But then also being raised from such a young age by humans would probably allow her to see them more as peers, especially if they're um, interacting with her in a real positive way. Mm -hmm. And if the training is very, um, it it takes the approach of being uh, encouraging rather than punitive, uh, that I think that would have a potentially positive effect on her psychology. Obviously, none of this is ideal. Like the ideal thing is for her to be in her natural environment and Uh, have a social life with other rhinos. Although I have to say rhinos aren't the most social of animals. They definitely do display a lot of friendly behaviors with each other. They're not very aggressive uh, with other rhinos. Only male rhinos can be a little bit Mm -hmm. territorial and aggressive with other males. And when they are, it's pretty uh, catastrophic, but typically they're not. And uh, females will sometimes be in groups in the wild. So like with, usually it's with their their infants or young, um, or even young males can sometimes be tolerated by females as they're sort of learning to make it on their own. And sometimes they'll have like play dates with other females where they're, hmm. all their uh, calves will get together and uh, kind of romp around. Um, so I think for a female rhino like Clara, she would tolerate social interaction and and expect it, although it must be very bizarre for her because no matter how kind her or well-intentioned her owners are, they are not going to know rhino body language. They're not going to be able to flap their ears back and forth and kind of like bob their head in a way that's going to communicate to her that they're playful or friendly. So she might, I'd imagine it'd be confusing, probably a little better since she was raised, since she was a calf, but still kind of like, you know, imagine being stuck with these aliens who seem to care for you, but they just are so weird. They're just these blobs that have no expression, no show no emotion mm-hmm. and kind of just give you food and sometimes soothe you in certain ways. And so you could maybe sometimes infer some care, but it would be hard for you to totally feel 
like you're actually socializing. Oh, that's a fantastic yeah. way and of thinking they, about it. They yeah. can't even paint with their lips. You know what I mean? What's <laughs> going on? Yeah. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Have you been thinking about LASIK but not sure if you're a candidate? Just go to LASIK.com slash quiz and take our free candidacy quiz. In just a few minutes, you'll know if LASIK is likely right for you. And if it is, we'll connect you with experienced LASIK doctors in your area. Start your journey towards 2020 vision. Take our free candidacy quiz at LASIK.com slash quiz. Yeah, LASIK.com. Easy to remember, so you know where to start. L-A-S-I-K, LASIK.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Uh, I had some follow-up questions here. Do female rhinos specifically experience any kind of, um, like, fertility cycle that would change their behavior in adulthood? That is interesting because typically, like, the only sort of adult interactions that female rhinos are going to have are when they're in estrus, so, like, they're when they're going to mate with a male. So I would assume um, it's hard for me to say definitively how that would translate to interactions with humans, but um, there's certainly periods of time where, you know, they'll be more receptive to males. And they're also, um, when they're mothers, they're more uh, receptive to company from um, females with calves and uh, juvenile males. So yeah, I would think that perhaps her kind of, she might even have sort of a longing for certain rhino social events that she's missing out on without really understanding what they are or why she feels that way. Because I don't, you know, like she may have that urge to do some kind of like socializing with uh, her own young. But if she didn't, she didn't have any calves, right? No. Nope. nope. So it's it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. I, I wonder if she sensed something was missing, but probably couldn't understand why she felt that way or what that would be. Because yeah. I don't think they're, they're intelligent, but not intelligent enough to know like, oh, I, I want to have a baby or I want to mate with a male rhino. 
but maybe just sort of a vague anxiety. Could they feel loneliness, perhaps? Or And also, additionally, would over time a rhinoceros be able to learn, for the lack of a better word, uh, learn to read human body language or physical cues? I think to some extent. Um, well, first of all, um, I mean, it's hard to say how, especially an animal like a rhino that is not as social as other animals. So I would be a lot more confident to say like an elephant or a dog is going to feel lonely. Um, Rhinos are solitary enough that I don't know. I think that maybe, I, I think that, you know, because they do have some positive social interactions and th- although they're infrequent, they they do happen. Um, and especially the females have a longer period of time where they're with their young. I, I think it's certainly possible she felt loneliness, but probably couldn't, you know, it would be a very different experience for uh, an animal like a rhino versus a human or even a more social animal like a primate. And then in terms of understanding human body language, yes, I do think uh, because rhinos are trainable, uh, I think they could start to understand certain cues and body language is meaning certain things. It's hard to know how emotionally salient that would be, though, to a rhino. So, like, there's a difference between understanding a certain cue means they're about to get food or praise and actually making the connection to it being a meaningful social interaction. So I think it's possible, though, for I, sure. I think that's a really interesting angle to the story, too, because the the sea captain who kept her um, didn't— we don't have any journals of his, so a lot of this is, like, second, third hand, and it almost has taken on the, the, the quality of, like, a fable or a fairy tale or something, and it feels very Disney-fied. Like, all of the accounts are very much like, he and he cared for Clara, the young rhino, and she was, like, his very own child. And blah, blah, blah. And this very anthropomorphized kind of version of this wild yeah. animal. And I think that holds true with what you're saying. But I'm just wondering, do you feel like I, I feel like what we're doing here talking to you is kind of arriving at more of the reality of the thing as opposed to the uh, fable side. I don't really have a question. I'm just kind of commenting. It's just interesting because, you know, I, I re- initially I was like, oh, this sea captain is such a nice, kind man. And I'm sure he was. And I'm sure there's some truth to it. But uh, he made a lot of money. He made a lot of money. And also, <laughs> I bet Clara was wasn't as down for it as he maybe made her out to be, you know? Yeah, I think up to Clara, she would have probably, given the choice, opted to hang with rhinos. Yep. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's it's not an ideal scenario, I think. No real, like, captive situation for a wild animal, especially the size of a rhino, is going to be ideal. If it's true that she was uh, without her mother— you know, now we do kind of have the understanding of how to potentially rehabilitate uh, young calves in captivity, but then kind of socialize them so they understand how to uh, succeed out in the wild. But maybe back then they didn't understand that as well. So there may not have been much of an alternative. So you think left to her own devices, she probably would have like perished, like left alone? Oh, and yeah. yeah, if she's a, if she's an, a, a young, like a calf, uh, it's, unlikely without her mother, she would survive. I I guess it depends on how young she was, but, you know, rhinos don't have that many natural predators as adults, uh, but the calves certainly can get taken down by tigers. And and she was a, I think she was an Indian. That's right. That's correct. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like tigers and humans would be her main 
threats, and a tiger could certainly take down a, a young calf. Well, then maybe I'll give the, the kindly sea captain a bit of a pass because the alternative, uh, <laughs> probably not not a good thing. Yeah, I don't want sea captains to get the idea that you should be just like taking rhinos out of the wild, though. <laughs> oh my gosh, our sea captain audience, Katie. They just they just turned on us. They just turned on They're us. They're going to take this really <laughs> tough. That also you've uh, lost yeah. the coveted sea captain demographic. That's like I'm our sorry. main demo. Yeah, is uh, the it's merchant marines. Yeah. Uh, well, also that that goes for uh, any any animal that's similar, right? We we see these um, these cutesy stories, for instance, about uh, a, a couple in South Africa that has a hippo, right, uh, that lives mm-hmm. in their house. But it's very important to remember that as much as we want to anthropomorphize these things, uh, these creatures are fundamentally different animals and. There's not a there's not a really compelling reason to take one out of the wild other than conserving the species, right? And I, I think that's right. that's something that we we hit on a lot with these stories. Yeah, no, I completely agree. And um I think this is a really awesome way to take this out of that kind of fairy tale realm and do a little bit of a reality check. So thanks again for giving us that. Katie, I have uh, one more question. This is purely for uh, my curiosity and probably for our listeners as well. Do you yourself have any pets? I do, yeah. So I have a dog uh, named Cookie. She's a pretty good girl. It's <laughs> <laughs> fantastic. I, I just I, I was going on the off chance that you might say, I actually do have a rhino, but <laughs> but let me explain. Um, well, please say hello to Cookie for us. Uh, thank you, uh, as as Makoa said, thank you so much for coming on the show and shedding some light on the enigma of rhino intelligence and the life, the inner life of animals in captivity. Yeah, for sure. And this is a thing that you do on the regular on your incredible podcast, Creature Feature. Can you tell us a little bit about that and where folks can find you and it? Yeah, so we talk about human behavior and also animal behavior and sort of the crossroads of these two seemingly different worlds. And I think as we have these discussions, we find out that even though you can't necessarily completely anthropomorphize animals, there's a lot of interesting crossover and behaviors that you'll find in animals that are kind of eerily similar to our own. Uh, And we look at it from the perspective of evolutionary biology and research and clinical psychology. Um, And so you can find us, uh, our podcast is called Creature Feature, and it's on iTunes, uh, wherever you get your podcasts, and also the iHeartRadio app. Uh, mm-hmm. And also, you could follow us on uh, Twitter at Creature Feet Pod. So, not feet like, you know, <laughs> feet in right. shoes, but feet as an F E A T. As in a great accomplishment. I do want to. Exactly. I do want to. Uh, I do want to. Th- Thank you in particular for an episode that came out in December, Extrasensory Pawception. <laughs> I, I appreciate that episode in particular, exploring the uncanny ways that animals are able to perceive the world. So this this stuff is great. Of course, uh, I and probably Noel as well really enjoy the Dark Tetrad episode, not just because we're on it. No, but it was just like, it was so cool the way 
you had us on where we really didn't do much legwork ahead of time. Oh, yeah. And just kind right. of came in and were able to have a cool conversation with you about animal psychopaths. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, true crime is the thing now, and I feel <laughs> right. like it can be yeah. applied to animals, you too. Got, you got to yeah. get a piece of that true crime pie. Yeah. No question. <laughs> and don't you also run a Twitter account where you, like, are the persona of, like, of a bird? Bird that, rights activist. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah, so I'm allegedly uh, the author of at Pro Bird Rights, Bird mm-hmm. Rights Activist, and I am totally a, a real human person and not, I haven't been paid by birds to uh, pretend to be. Uh, well, I, I, that's, I, I, that's hearsay. The, totally. <laughs> and I got I to gotta tell you real quick, and I've, Ben knows this, everybody who knows me knows this. I am uh, terrified of birds. I, I don't mm-hmm. like their weird little creepy beady eyes and their unpredictable <laughs> movements, and they absolutely give me the creeps and always have. But I think your account is hilarious. And actually, you kind of play into some of the things that I find creepy and untrustworthy <laughs> about birds. So birds I, are I, amazing. I appreciate that. Birds are well, amazing. Well, they're direct descendants of uh, the T-Rex. They're mm-hmm. uh, little little tiny dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. That must be what does it. And jackdaws, <laughs> corvids in general are just brilliant. Mm-hmm. You can befriend them and they'll teach their young. Oh, that's a different I would. Episode. I would prefer not to. But, I'll do um, it. Casey okay. and I'll do it. <laughs> you can have all the corvids. You can have them all. But um, yeah, thanks again, Katie, for coming on the show. Thanks to our super producer, Casey Pegram. Thanks to Alex Williams, who composed our theme. Thanks to our research associate, Gabe. Uh, Katie, thank you again. Uh, we hope that you have enjoyed this episode. We hope that you tune in for our next episode, which is going to examine the story of someone who may indeed be the highest paid athlete in history. Who is it? The answer will surprise you. There are several ways to find out. We have a way that we would like you to find out, which is to tune into our show. In the meantime, you could say hello to the best part of our show, your fellow listeners on our Facebook page, Ridiculous Historians. Yeah, you can check me out on Instagram at Embryonic Insider. I am Ben Bolin in A Burst of Creativity. That's the name I chose on Instagram. You can uh, see pictures of my pets and my various weird adventures. Did I tell you I'm ending up in Korea again? Yeah, no, you, 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 you wouldn't tell me. You said you had a thing. <laughs> You weren't gonna be able to record. It's, yeah, yeah, it's okay. a thing. Yeah. Okay. Well, thanks for thanks for the info. <laughs> uh, well, we'll see you next time, folks. Happy Pride from Tomboy X, celebrating Pride and the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender-inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit-tested for all-day comfort in sizes 3 extra small through 6X. Visit TomboyX.com. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Avalon Waterways. Ben, are you in major need of a vacation right now? Noel, you're a mind reader. I am, and uh, aren't we all? We are. While cruising remains popular, there's something big happening in the industry, and that is, my friend, smaller ships. True story. The intimate ships of Avalon waterways can go where the big ships can only dream, through winding passageways of rolling vineyards and castled hills into the heart of timeless cities and storybook villages. That sounds like a delight. See how Avalon's smaller ships promise greater discoveries, fewer people, and more of everything. Limited time. Special offers await at avalonwaterways.com. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time... 
Get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com.